0: Hey, so what's the plan? Right. Call mum. Make sure she's okay. If Philip has been infected, follow the NHS guidelines to the letter. Don't you want to kill him? Well, of course I want to kill him. I just can't write that. Oh. Don't go to Lizzie's. What if I'm horny? Well, she's my girlfriend. All right. Gray? What do you mean, all right? Gray? Ah, yeah. I see what you're doing. I know it's 2020, but the original joke wasn't intended as homophobic. It was more a comment on the absurdity of straight male appropriation of homophobic signifiers in order to denote their aversion to emotional candidness. Do not go to the Winchester. The pub is out. Even if it's shut? Especially if it's closed. Remember what happened the last time? <sighs> yeah. If you can, stay at home, have a cup of tea, and wait for all this to blow over. Above all, don't be a twat about things. We're all in this together. Don't be selfish. Look after each other. Give someone a call if you think they might be lonely. Okay? How are you doing? I'm running out of toilet paper. Have you got any? Ah, yes. I'm sorry, mate. I'm down to my last uh, sheet. I know. You take care. Okay, buddy. Bye. Bye -bye. (laughs) Bye-bye.
1: Welcome to episode 44 of the Film 89 podcast. I'm Sky and uh, sitting to my right is... Hello people, if you're still out there, this is The Resistance, it's Neil Gaskin. And as you all know, we are writers over a little website called film89.co.uk. Tonight's episode would have been a bit of a special one. Myself and Neil and uh, a couple of other members of the Film 89 team, we had a bit of a special night planned. We were uh, lucky enough to have got tickets to go and see a special screening of Star Trek 2 The Wrath of Khan, which was hosted by none other than the great Mr. William Shatner. Now, as you all know, and uh, just to put things into perspective, the recording date of tonight's episode is Tuesday, the 17th of March, 2020, because obviously we're going to be talking about a lot of things which are going to be time-sensitive and a lot of the stuff we say could well be out of date by the time you're listening but yeah we were going to go and uh, see the film there was going to be a Q&A with Mr Shatner and then we were going to be recording an episode all about Star Trek 2 immediately afterwards but not only that we were going to be joined in person by a very valued member of the uh, film 89 writing and podcast team uh, he was going to be coming over all the way from Amsterdam it is Mr Bill Scurry but Bill tonight you're going to be
2: joining us via Skype I know. We've done this a hundred times, and it was supposed to be the novelty of all being in the same room for the first time for one of the best reasons imaginable, but it was not to be. And
1: not only that, Bill, I think you'd actually booked Cardiff's grottiest, grimiest hotel, and we were
3: actually going to record there. <laughs> <laughs> I was I was quite looking forward to four or five grown-ass men all going into a hotel room just to talk about William Shatner. <laughs> yeah.
2: What would that have looked like that from been outside, something. I wonder? Yeah.
3: Yeah, but obviously, unfortunately,
1: none of that's come to pass because um, the world is, you know, in the grip of a very serious global pandemic um, caused by the outbreak of the coronavirus, uh, which has caused, you know, modern society as we know it to grind to a halt, uh, which has unfortunately for us meant that the event's been cancelled, understandably. You know, as, as Britain and many other countries are putting a halt on large social gatherings.
3: Can we, can we point out, though, that the event was cancelled by the actual owners of the property. It wasn't cancelled by Captain Kirk. Nope. He would have turned up at any time. He uh, was still good to go.
1: And as good as yesterday, William Shatner was still saying that the event was on and he had every intention to attend...
3: Um, I believe he actually did one. Didn't he do one last night in London? In London, yeah. you got to think the guy's 80. I mean, he's 89 next yeah. week. The risk factor for him anyway. Oh, yeah. If, you know, multiply that with foreign travel
2: and various people, you know, various different cities. He was actually supposed to be... There was an Amsterdam show on Saturday, which I wasn't even aware of that, that he was... It didn't go down. He wasn't going to come to the hot zone because no. I think this was relatively higher uh, rate of infection here. But um, yeah, I didn't realize his roadshow was that uh, widespread. I didn't realize he was really going on so long with it.
1: Yeah, this weekend there was an Amsterdam, there was a Prague event, which um, unfortunately both had to be cancelled. But it, Berlin, it, Berlin, I think he did, didn't he? Yeah, yeah, Mr. Shatner, God bless him. You know, he was uh, you know willing to uh, carry on, and you know, by all accounts people have already asked that if this event is going to be rescheduled at some point in the future but he has said that this whole tour has taken the best part of 2 years to plan and unfortunately now his schedule for the you know immediate future for the next at least a year is completely jam packed so from a logistical point of view i think it's going to be very difficult for him to reschedule and sort of get this sort of show back on the road anytime soon so bill obviously you know until recently you lived in new york city and you've since relocated to amsterdam what's the situation over there like with you
2: Well, um, it's funny. I always feel like um, our move, me and and the wife moved here to Amsterdam in September last year. And I'll be honest, a lot of it was strategic. I mean, as much as we really wanted to have an experience as uh, expats, which is one of those great American romance stories since, I guess, T.S. Eliot came over, um, you know, in the 20th century and lived in Paris. You know, there's been all these guys, uh, Hemingway, et cetera, et cetera. Of course, we wanted that. But we also had this fear That there might be a good reason to flee from the United States, and we had it in our minds. Again, we get a little political here, but that's that's fine. I'll 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 put myself out here like this. We were really fearing, I think, the election coming up this year, and so far it's been a shit show on the ground. Who who the hell knows how it was going to be? But you did have a, a really tilted political atmosphere, where I'm sure us in New York. Uh, we were still there, we would have been fine, but it's a very polarized country that looked like it was going in any number of different directions, some of them violent. But the one thing we could not have uh, predicted was something like this, this is Looney Tunes. But uh, as weird as things are, I mean, in the news from the United States, which I I still read the papers, and uh, I follow heavily what goes on there, I still feel much more comfortable being here, I'll be honest with you. This is a, a country that is the size of South Carolina, just to compare it to one of our single states. And as rambunctious as people are, I think they tend to hew to authority a lot more sensibly and rationally. I'm not saying there's you know nothing but sensible people here, but it's a lot easier to get a hold of a smaller landmass that is less politically divided than, say, the one I came from. So I've been out in Amsterdam. I've been on my bike getting exercise stretching my legs you know you can go to food for takeout of course the coffee shops closed on I think it was Sunday night but then they reopened for you to just go into the counter and buy weed if you want sex shops are still closed but I'll tell you man if you go to the city center in Dom square uh, off of roken th- there's still a million people here I mean I don't think travel is really thinned out and they are assembling in crowds. I don't know where they're from because they're not Dutch. That's for damn sure. Dutch are staying inside, they're playing their games very tight. But the tourists are still here. And look, I'm sure that if you went to most big cities right now in Europe, you can't, can't you can't keep everybody off the street. I mean, if they're smart, they're not going to head over. But who knows what what does the Trevi Fountain look like right now? How many people are running around the base of the Empire's not the Empire the Eiffel Tower? Yeah, you know, this this is definitely more of a, you know, there's a neighborhood feel to Amsterdam. So we do see our neighbors, people. People are still bicycling, but it's sedate for sure. Uh, and people are really giving themselves that wide berth around other people. So it's interesting because again, we're still getting our legs underneath us with the city. We've only been here, you know, maybe six or seven months or so. So it's unusual to see it now under a strange crisis that no one has ever seen in a city like this before. Not in our lifetimes. This is a, a brand new thing.
1: Well it was it was last week Bill, wasn't it? I think Thursday the twelfth. Um I was up quite late and I just happened to cross you, your wife Janice actually did uh you know a live stream on Facebook where she was walking around Amsterdam.
2: Yeah.
1: And and we were all interacting on a live chat and she was just kind of showing everyone that, you know, from the, the point of view of it usually being, you know, quite busy and, and I think this must have been your time must have been around maybe 10.30 at night was it or thereabouts and it it was just yeah it it was in comparison to what it usually is like very quiet coffee shops were deserted there was there was basically no one on the streets bar you know a a few people milling about
2: yeah um we had a strange scenario last week because we had some americans come in a younger uh, cousin of janice's who was i'd say 20 or so she was on her spring break from university So we got them out here. This is their first trip to the Netherlands. And this is exactly what I wish someone would have done for me when I was 20 years old. This you know, would have completely opened my horizons. I didn't have something like this. So it's our job to be able to supply this to somebody else, a younger cohort in our family. So they were here, I would say, five days before uh, the president got up and gave that really poorly timed speech, which showed up, I think it was 9 p.m. Eastern Standard Time, which is 2 p.m., 2 a.m., our time. They happened to be watching and everyone freaked the fuck out. And they said, oh, my God, you girls got to get on a plane tomorrow. This is before they clarified that American travelers would have carte blanche. It was mostly just European nationals. But they didn't say that up front. So that next day, my wife was at they, they zipped up their suitcases at three thirty in the morning. They took a taxi to Skip Hall Airport and they were on a 915 flight back to Newark Airport. Things had just gotten very weird very quickly and a lot of ad hoc planning needed to be done. And I think what, that night you saw my wife doing a live stream was sort of based in this elegy, this sadness that, you know, we, we came here with this idea in mind that it would be a beautiful dream that we'd be able to, in, you know, enjoy this life. And it's a little bit of that you've been thwarted. You're seeing something. I mean, everybody is paying for it, but it's an elegy for maybe what, what never was or what could have been or what was short lived. Well, hopefully it's very
3: short-lived, That you know, almost the isolation that everyone's finding themselves in now. I mean, we're looking at it now. I mean, I, one of the best descriptions I heard the other day, someone said a lot of people at the moment are looking at it like a sort of snow blizzard. If we sort of hunker in this, you know, this will be over next week. And it's not going to happen that quick, but hopefully within the next few months, we can see some sort, sort of semblance of normality coming back
2: people know me because me and my wife are childless we are doing we are doing our own thing it's unusual for people who are 44 and 50 to sort of have this arrangement but I really do look upon you guys who have families. I mean, not that I don't have a family, but there's extra skin in the game that you guys have that I can't possibly fathom. What it what what it must be like. And wh- how not that like how do you regard your children, but you know your children are in the same world and they're picking up all of this like sponges. How do you how do you plan for that? How do you deal with that? It's funny you should say that Bill because earlier on this evening um, and just from my own perspective,
1: you, you know, Bill, obviously we all converse on a on a, on a private wrong real crew sort of chat group. The situation with the coronavirus outbreak has been probably the, the main thing we've been talking about on that group. As recently as maybe just over a week ago, I was trying to be one of the sort of calm, common sense voices of reason. Because I'll be honest, I don't think, even as recently as a week ago, I had a, an accurate sort of idea as to how serious an outbreak this was and, and how serious it was going to become and how serious it probably will become because, you know, have no doubt it. It is going to become worse and this is not fear mongering you know I am not in no, any we're, way we're
3: riding a wave yeah we world are world? we are
1: basically the, the world is changing rapidly from day to day and we are just all scrambling to keep up with you know how this thing is spreading and, and what moves we have to put in place to contain it I was against certain moves like closing schools um which you know again i i I still not sure how i feel about that and you know i suppose a lot of that was born out of maybe you know a personal selfish sort of thing and how it would affect people like me people who are not able to take time off work because of you know the nature of the you know the job we do we're just not able to um you know we're not able to work from home and i'm also thinking from the point of view of and and you know the critical issue here is the health service and in britain the nhs There is going to be a certain capacity level, which the government are trying to bear in mind when they're dealing with this outbreak. If the amount of cases pushes well above that capacity ceiling too early on, then we are going to have a major serious situation on our hands. And one of the things I think is going to affect the NHS's ability to cope with thousands of cases of of COVID-19 is going to be the fact that, some NHS workers if their children are off school are simply not going to be able to go into work you know and and work full capacity because they're going to have childcare responsibilities but the upside of that or or the the other side of that coin is the fact that schools and children and the fact that they don't you know by very nature of their age and and the fact that they don't really know what's going on in the world they they don't adhere to the level of personal hygiene that you know we as, as adults are going to have to adhere to in order to keep this
3: thing to a minimum I think with my with my boy, I mean, he's sort of 13, going on 14 now, and he's taking more notice of it than I would perhaps like him to, if I'm honest. Mm. It's, it's strange because you, you say you've got to keep that cool head. You've got to try and be like I was sort of almost joking around with him the other day. They were saying mm-hmm. one of the kids that got sent home ill or something, and naturally all went round through a yeah, coronavirus, and it turned out the kids just had a stomachache. And they were saying, Look, what's the worst going to happen? You've got two weeks off school and try to sort of play it yeah. down. But in the back of your mind, you're thinking, this kind of, this kind of thing, if I want to yeah. keep normality, but but there's a little bit of me that just wants to sort of wrap him up in a blanket and lock Absolutely. him away from the world, you know. Yeah. So it's, it's, it's finding that fine balance, really. But it's quite, it's quite difficult to to sort of put put in words, really, without sort of overreacting, isn't it? Well, yeah, the point I was, you know, initially going
1: from was earlier on this evening, having and and these these last two days, I think has hit me. The most I've seen a few articles in particular there was one on Sky News I saw this morning that I do think is a little bit irresponsible and it was basically told from the point of view of some of the observations of an of anaesthetist who has seen cases of COVID-19 affecting people who are outside of that sort of vulnerable group the elderly and people with um, existing respiratory illnesses any information that we're given tonight you know we're not telling you that this is these are things you need to hold on to, like as if you know. Oh, we're we are not experts we're just, on. Just, we're yeah. just as
3: confused as you well, are. Like,
1: we're all just basically trying to scramble and get every little bit of information that we can. We've been given potentially, you know, life-saving or important information all the time, but we're also getting a lot of conflicting information. And some of the stuff I've seen in the last couple of days has made me go from whereas. You know, about maybe a week or two ago, I was trying to you know maintain a cool head about it, and then over the weekend, I, you know, I, I went away to a, a sort of family sporting event, uh, which was like a couple, you know, a, a weekend long event with dozens upon dozens of families, all with children. We were all talking about this situation, and this evening, uh, I, I was in the kitchen in my house, thinking, you know, my God, it's, it's having children, it's it's having young children, which I have. Uh, three of them between the ages of less than a year old and, and, and nine years old it, it makes you vulnerable and i was thinking to me and my wife if we didn't have children now we would be being not, i wouldn't i don't want to use the, the word blasé but we wouldn't be as concerned as we are
2: you couldn't possibly be seriously because no I you know I, I look
1: at, i look at my you know nearly eight month old daughter and all i'm thinking is oh my god you know if anything ever happened to you i, I don't know how i would cope and yes, apparently children are not being affected like elderly people and, well, and, and st- people. Statistically with, speaking, yeah, all, but yeah. you know that still doesn't make me any more at ease, and and yeah, I, it is causing me now you know an increased level of anxiety, and I am you know thinking that this issue with if if we're going to contain this for, a, or, or or contain it for a few more weeks because there is the hope, and again maybe this is ill informed, but there is hope that warmer weather will kind of slow down the spread of this virus. Because like the flu, uh, you know, prospers in winter months, apparently there is a hope and
3: but, but the, as much as you think of that, I mean, I might come across as a total crat in here, but I think, well, why is, why is Spain in a state the national Exactly, so, that's right.
1: Why is Italy so so heavy hit? But, Bill, in answer to your question, it, it does make you vulnerable, and it, it makes you vulnerable in a way that, you know, nothing else does.
3: Looking at the older folks as well, I mean, it's like, you know, we've both got sort of parents. I mean, my father's in his 70s, you know, mm-hmm. he's got underlying health problems, you know. And it's it's quite sad in a way. I mean, like they're going out for walks now on the beach at like six and seven o'clock in the morning because they don't because the rest of the day they're staying in the house. Yeah. And they're thinking, well, if they we can get out for a twenty minutes or half hour little stroll on a beach, which I say is only like a mile or two away from where they live, if they can do it early when no one else is around, at least they've had some fresh air for the day. Yeah. And you think that's just no way to live like, is it? You no. know, it's like, you know, and for us, I mean, like I said, I was joking around with my son saying, Well, look, you know, what's the worst could happen? We watch Netflix for two weeks. You know, you got Boris Johnson telling the elderly to sort of isolate for 12 weeks. Yeah. I mean, that's, you know, there's there's people who don't do that serve that much time in prison, you know. Yeah, it's <laughs> extreme, yeah.
2: I was going to say, I heard Zach on that Spider-Man episode from, uh, what was it, middle of last year. Yeah. You yeah. Know, I, I get I get an inclination of where that kid's head is at, just based on the little bit he popped on the air. Like you said, the age he's at is exactly, you know, that, that, first of all, He's not a dumb kid. But beyond that, the age that he's at, yeah, he's reading the planet Earth, man. He sees the Matrix code. I mean, there's just... Whatever the hell I knew when I was X age, he knows twice as much as I did.
3: They're just educated to a level we can't believe now. Not just in school, but like you know, yeah. you, you know, from the from practical levels. I mean, he's practically taught himself to play the guitar from watching YouTube videos. But of course, the the bad side of watching YouTube videos is you can also go down rabbit holes of mm. this is the end of the world. This is COVID nineteen. This is what kills us all. You know. Yeah. And yeah. it's trying to sort of like keep him away from that, but at the same time, acknowledge that I'm not keeping him away from it. You know, it's it's a hard balance to find. You know.
2: And and Sky, you know, your eight-month-old daughter, you know, we we're all we have a handshake agreement uh, of us, the cohort of this generation. Like she has to inherit the earth. This you is for her. The reason why, we're, you know, I mean, I think that the light motif of what we talk about on a show like this normally is we discuss culture, right? And mm. culture is the art. I mean, you could describe art as whatever it is that we do when we're not focused on survival, and so that could be dance, that could be banging two rocks together, that could be cooking, whatever. But the whole point is, we're exulting in all this culture. You know, we're trying to, first of all, disseminate it amongst each other. I, like I said, I don't have kids, but w- what we're trying to do is impart it on younger people. We're literally trying to make their lives better. Mm. Uh, we don't gain anything from having a bunch of mistreated, malnourished, angry, sawed off. Uh, uh, you know, thwarted young people. That doesn't make for a good future. So, I mean, you know, we usually have a good conversation about, you know, Transformers or Rathacon or something like that. The idea is that we're just trying to proffer excitement amongst each other, which is great because we get excited about it. And I'm sure I know that Zach has has accidentally caught that excitement from from you, Neil, you know, and I know uh, my friend Kevin Mars got two boys that are, you know, just about that same age. And the idea is like, well, I see how this works, you know, there, there's a lot of, it's not responsibility, but it's this cultural curve that goes between, especially boys, because that's what I'm going to relate to, between boys and their and their father, but yeah, certainly, you know, what your daughter has to expect in the years and years and years to come, and so, you know, we we want to give her a legacy, and you know, the fear is that um, it won't be as great as as you know that's going to make me sad that's going to make me upset if she's if she gets one drop less than she's entitled to you know and she's a stand in for all the kids obviously who are out there for sure but that's you know that's a real concern
3: yeah I was going to say to quote what of your recent so I can't remember if it was actually you or Noah said it which you you know you both said you haven't really got any skin in the game because you're both not fathers you both got you know like no uh, he's got Noah's got uh, nephews and stuff like that but you were both saying that the important thing is you want children to be happy. You want children to grow up happy because happy kids make happy adults. I know it's a bit of a cliche, but like you say the less sort of strife and the less sort of stress that a kid gets in their life in their early life you know makes a better sort of balanced person a lot
2: of the time doesn't it yeah one of the bits of rhetoric that's in the, and I was going to say in this country I'm still identifying you know as a person who lives in America I do I mean I am following the American news cycle so I feel like I'm there one of the things that is amongst people like us especially people who really 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 dislike the president and and you know find that there's a uh, you know dig your heels in there's a real moral imperative to you know being on the opposite side of it because this is amoral, it's vicious, it's, it's venal, it's whatever you want to call it, psychopathic. There's this thing that people say, which is, I hope that someone goes to a Trump rally and sneezes, right? They, <laughs> it's, a, it's always that thing. It's a, it's a bad impulse, and I get where it comes from, but people, it's like, you guys— Because you're ruining whoever you guys are, because you're ruining the planet Earth, you should all suffer or die. You know, the whole idea being we need more pain in the world that's somehow gonna make things better. And it's like, man, more pain, more suffering, that doesn't make anything better for anybody. You know, everyone has to be as happy as they can be. And that is what causes that's just you know, that's the beginning for tranquility. Everyone has to be chill. Everyone has to be attended to, you know, and that's that's where it begins. Decent, you know, humanity for everybody, for Christ's sake, and not yeah. wishing that someone would sneeze chain reaction in a big crowd somewhere in Georgia, you know. No, nobody wins.
3: No, exactly. And, you know, this is the thing, isn't it? Like you say, it's easy to sort of get stuck in that sort of like almost tribe mentality of, you know, sides and stuff like that. With Trump, I mean, Obviously, we don't have as much of an investment, you know, uh, living in the UK, but I always try to laugh him off. I always just think the best thing you can do with someone is not get angry with them, is laugh at them. But yeah. I, I gotta be honest, this week, not so much the Oval Office speech he did, there was a press conference he did, but he was stood there with a big hat with USA written on it, referring to a... Shh a foreign virus. You know, I I can't possibly play devil's advocate with this. You're playing to the lowest common denominator here. You're basically, (laughs) it's the most xenophobic thing I've ever seen. You know, it's not a foreign virus. All right. It might've originated in a country or was that just the first country it was reported to originate in? But, you know, it's not a, a foreign virus. It's a global virus. The old sort of like Ronald Reagan speech about, like, you know, if aliens landed tomorrow, we'd all start fighting each other. But, you know, as much as, you know, like you say at this time, it's not a time to sort of point fingers at where it came from or who's got it or who's got worse. It's a time for how can we cure this so the world is okay? Yeah, that's right. You know, this this is a geopolitical event
1: unlike anything we've ever seen. A, you know, a global event. Where it came from at this point now is moot. Granted that if like a lot of scientists believe this has come from the poor eating practices which are, you know, which, which are happening in certain overpopulated countries where you know, markets are stocked full of animals that you should really be questioning are these fit for human consumption? They're being stored in a manner in which animals which were not in nature usually come into close quarters contact with each other are being brought together. Viruses are jumping from one species to another, they're potentially mutating, and then you've got something like COVID 19. How that has happened and, and the things, you know, the, the preventative measures to put in place to stop that from happening again are things that we need to look at in the future. But in the immediate future now, what we need to do is contain this outbreak now because this is something that is escalating, you know, exponentially. And from day to day, you know, that you know, things are getting scarier. And, and again, we don't want to fear monger, but, you know, it's out there in the media now. You know, there's a lot of common sense kind of social commentators out there, some of which I've been watching. There's one in particular on YouTube who is, you know, his political alignment is towards common sense, straight down the middle. He is pointing out that a lot of people, conspiracy theorists in particular, are coming out with ridiculous claims like, you know, this isn't really happening. People are not really dying. It's just the government trying to see if they can control the populace by putting, you you know, by the media. And you know, things like that are just completely, it's, it's nonsense. And you're going to get people This is you know, when, from, yes, from
3: it. Say this is the time when everyone crawls from under a rock. Exactly. You, know? yeah. you, get, you get
1: the people saying, you know, none of this is really happening. People debunking, you know, the the. It's the, the 5G. Truth. 5G was the one I heard. Yeah. <laughs> that's yeah I, heard, I heard 5G exactly, too. Yeah. Yeah. But what you've got to do is you've got to cut through the bullshit and, you know, kind of, don't be going on YouTube and listening to everyone that's got something to say about this. You know, there are a lot of people, a lot of educated people who know what they're talking about. And, you know, one of the most recent episodes of the Joe Rogan podcast where you had Michael Osterholm on. Now, Michael Osterholm is the director of the Center for Infectious Disease Research. He knows his stuff. You know, he published a book three years ago and chapter 13 of that book was all about SARS and the coronavirus and things like that. And, and you know, the chapter was effectively a warning for the future. They, they were You know, he made representations to, to Congress about tackling this sort of thing. Things clearly, which you know, they thought. No, you know, th- th- this is not our problem. This, this is something that you know is is just this scientist trying to fearmonger. And now look where we are, because the, the proper protocols were not put in place early enough and were not adhered to. But now that we know or have a good idea how to contain this public and social isolation keeping your distance maintaining good personal hygiene and if push comes to shove and they do end up having to close schools then that is just something that we're all going to have to deal with and all going to have to manage because children are like a petri dish for bacteria and the spread of infection
3: but the hard part with that is most people who have to go to work where are the kids going go? to go well the, to the grandparents right that's you know, right that's, that and, was and again what, and that's this what's happened in italy yeah and that sort of knee-jerk reaction of let's close everything yeah. down of course, all people our age who are parents were sending the kids to the grandparents, Absolutely. as you actually do. Yeah, So, you know, it's, it's hard, really, isn't it? What's, it is. What's the right way yeah. of right dealing with it, this? It, right? it really
1: is. And, you know, our generation and, and every other generation who are alive now, you know, from the baby boomers down to the millennials, we've not seen anything like this before this is a global pandemic on a scale that we haven't seen since we were alive in 1918 for the you know outbreak of spanish flu this is something that is just unlike anything else and it's come at a time where you know the 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 world political climate you know you've got the situation in america with a you know the, the the fractured political situation over there you've got
3: the same thing over in the uk with you know Brexit, and I was actually I was actually listening to someone joke the other day. They couldn't. They wish they could go back to the days of just Brexit dominating yeah, the news. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> we, a, we had about thirty months of it, but honestly, <laughs> I know.
2: Well, yeah. It, really, it's hard to stay. You know, tuned out from it. It was just as yeah, not maybe as as important, but certainly it was pivotal. It meant something to us as well, especially in the English speaking world yeah. for sure.
1: There was a great tweet I saw out, like the uh, the beginning of last week, which was both funny and kind of give me a chill and it was something along the lines of it seems like 2020 is the year that's been written by Stephen King
3: yeah you've had yeah. you next, next
1: month Godzilla's attacking yeah well you look at look, this look, like look, look at Australia okay Australia has, has had those horrendous devastating fires which have you know thank god they've been brought under control now we've just
3: got over the floods yeah we've yeah, <laughs> yeah. In, in
1: Britain we have had three or four storms
3: back to back which have just caused Widespread damage, which also, I'm not making it light of that. Thankfully, you and I both escaped very lightly where we live, but yeah, very nearby neighbors to us, yeah, you know, in literally within a space of a mile or two, had their homes totally yeah. wiped out by it. Literally, a few miles down the road from where I live, it was one of the hardest hit areas.
2: And yeah, I was, t- I was talking to Steve Amos about that yeah. on, on WhatsApp, and he was saying that he was really close to, uh, really close to a lot of the shit, which is mm. scary sounding, yeah,
1: you know. Even though where I live is, is in no way a flood risk. It, it, it's well away from any rivers. But I still had damage to my house from these storms. And again, you know, I I got off lightly. There the are people who have had their, their livelihoods wrecked their businesses. There's a car dealership near me where hundreds of cars you know tens upon you know, or hundreds of thousands of pounds worth of damage was
3: caused where this car dealership at, near a at, river at least people who can't get insurance for flood yeah. damage because it happened 12 18 months yeah, prior to right. that as well you know it's not it's made the news this time bill but i mean a lot of these villages and towns literally have got houses in them that you can't insure against floods yeah because yeah. over the last four or five years it's happened repeatedly you and know?
1: you know these people who have uh, been trying to get their lives back together. I spoke to one lady recently who had been uh, relocated uh, because her house had been completely you know, destroyed by floods. And then now we've got this to deal with, which is far more serious because the political and the, the social and the financial ramifications of this are going to be unlike
2: anything that we have seen since World War II. Yeah, none of us were around then for sure. You know, it, it does make me think one of the handshake as, as nostalgic as we are for handshakes now, one of the handshake things we used to do in New York, you know, and I was in New York City for close to 20 years, and I grew up in the metro area uh, out on Long Island. So I was on a, in a satellite community of New York as a child. Certainly, I got there right before nine eleven, And, you know, my, my deal was that I had met New York City, uh, I would say, I literally moved to Queens, the borough of Queens on September 1st. 2001 I had been commuting to the city for a while from one of the exurbs uh, But then I finally got there and who the hell knew that ten days later everything would just go ass over tea kettle now uh, You know people stayed away from New York for a while It definitely you know demented the place and that a lot of people flew fled they left uh, The housing market froze for a while and there was there was fear for sure on top of that You also had cordons Uh, At certain blocks where they prevented you from going downtown, just as a security measure, the the stuff you'd never seen before, for sure. As you came out of that, there was the idea that, like I said, the handshake thing was, where were you on 9-11? Which I'm sure was just our updated version of, where were you when Kennedy was shot? Where were you during Pearl Harbor? Every generation sort of has one of these things where, I don't again, I don't want to say it's nostalgic, but it is this that uh, you look in somebody's eyes and everybody knows, oh shit, we shared that same trauma together. Mm. Some of us were close to it. Some of us, you know, like I speak to people here in Europe and they were 9-11 because they were watching on TV. It freaked them the fuck out. We've actually Brand, had
3: conversations like that where we've sat around a table for yeah. people and all talked about how we came to the news and how we saw it yeah. and stuff like that. So yeah. And look, you see, that's on a much smaller scale, so I can completely relate to what you're saying there, yeah.
2: Yeah, well, I've always been curious. It's like uh, some of some older Englishmen that I know kind of base their um their version of that is the troubles. You know, they talk about all those fucking bombs that were blowing up in Guildford and mm. Surrey and every place else, and you know the idea that that well, you know, what indiscriminate garbage can blowing up or a dumpster somewhere in Metro London was gonna you know when, you know they they nearly got the Queen that that one year, and it, you know it was truly. The rules were, you know, the rules were just completely broken. You had no idea what to expect. But but people, you know, my friend, I think who's he's 54 years old, would say, yeah, that's what it was like growing up in the UK. You know, I mean, granted, we were probably going to be safe, but it was this trauma. Everybody knew that they were living through some collective experience. And that was specifically English. You know, we didn't have anything like that in the continental United States until 9-11. But I have to assume that. I remember those. And we in in, in two thousand three? I think it was. There was a blackout in New York City that lasted a whole week. That was pretty fucked up. And then Hurricane Sandy was in twenty twelve. That was another thing that you have know, these large grand mall events that affected a lot of people. In arguably, you know, you could say the most important city in America and certainly one of the most important cities in the world just because of the uh, the amount of people that are there. And so something that happens in New York happens larger than it does most other places. But everybody does have that idea of what it was like when something big happened. And you know, we're going to be living inside this for years, man. Like we're going to have this trauma. The kids are going to have it. The adults are going to have it. The grandparents are going to have it. And the other thing is, is that you know, before it was something like 9/11, or if it was like the IRA bombings, you looked at it from a distance and said, "Man, that is fucked up. Look at the state of the world." But now this is like simultaneous. Yeah, Sky. I think he said the only other thing would have been that Spanish flu. But even then, you weren't connected with people. Everyone was fucking running around illiterate back then. Like there was yeah. no no news apparatus. People, you know, they were just being taught by the Bible somewhere in Idaho. It's, and, there and
3: more importantly, you didn't have everyone, vi- you know, voicing their opinion of it on social media or even, you yeah. know, speak I hate to use a phrase, but fake news. Yeah. Yeah. You
1: yeah know? Fake news. <laughs> yeah. There's an advantage and a disadvantage that we have got now to dealing with this in 2020. I think that one of the main disadvantages is the fact that since 1970, global population has doubled. I think, you know, in part, that very factor is probably the cause for things like this because the more widespread humanity is and the more that it just spreads its roots out there into the world, the, the greater the chance that it is going to unearth something that disagrees with us as a race. Scientists have posited that there is bacteria and there are viruses out there in this world, not in the depths of space but here on Earth now, that if we interfere with and we mingle with and we you know allow to mutate, they could potentially cause an absolute global catastrophe. So that that increased population is is something that is is a burden for us. But one of the things we've got going in our favour in 2020 is the fact that we are all interconnected at the moment. Let's hope that, you know, the internet doesn't go down. But like you say, when Spanish flu broke out in, you know, the, the second decade of the last century, people didn't know what the hell was going on. But now we are so interconnected and the fact that, you know, Information can literally just be sent out in an instant. That thank God we can educate people on the spot and and tell them what they need to do in order to halt the spread of this virus. So yeah, it is a double-edged sword. You know, there there is the the technological benefits, but then there is also the fact that they are now, like I say, twice the people there was on the planet in 1970. Yeah, it's just a, an, an easier stepping stone for a virus to to, to, to spread. But one of the things a virus wants to do, or the primary function of a virus isn't to kill its host it it is to survive the virus is it it, in in a way there's a benign element to it it just wants to live and it doesn't want to kill its host otherwise it dies so there's so much about viruses that people don't know and don't understand and and with regards to the spread of them and, and and how to best fight this but hopefully the responsible governments and the media are going to be putting the right information out there and At the moment, they're not making self-isolation mandatory. It's all advisory, but it is gonna come to the point where if people don't abide by or or, or don't adhere to the instructions which government and uh, the news are passing them, that it could be made mandatory. We've also got the thing of isolation fatigue. If you isolate people for too long a time, they're just going to become blasé. They're going to be thinking, oh, do you know what? I, I, I'm I, going to go down the pub. I'm going to, you know, I'm going to go and, you know, mingle with my friends who I haven't seen for four, five, six weeks. It's, it's extremely difficult for the government to manage that sort of aspect of people because we are a very social race, especially now in this day and age. And, you know, we, we were able to socialize electronically. But then also there is that thing like me and Neil were discussing before we recorded tonight. If we hadn't had the rug pulled out from us and we were now sat down in the Welsh Millennium Centre with yourself, Bill, and we were at this event with William Shatner, if that was still on, Neil and I would have both gone. Now, there's a, obviously an irresponsible element of that. Maybe we were not thinking this is as big a threat as it is, but fortunately now, I, I'm seeing the fact that that choice was taken away from us. Um, so we're now not putting ourselves
3: at that same risk.
2: Yeah, and It was,
3: they, it was strange in a way, Bill, because I was almost sort of willing you not to come. Because I, because <laughs> I knew if, if you caught the flight, then there was no way that I could not go. And then, I know. Yeah. And, then, and then, for obvious reasons, when we spoke afterwards, I agreed with you not coming. But it was like literally, it was what seven pm, seven thirty last night. We found out the event yeah. was cancelled, and we were still going to go. You know, because we were still well. Well, you know, yes. we got as much chance of catching it there as we have just been out and about. And yeah. you know. And like you say, if one of us had gone down the week after, we'd have been kicking ourselves, wouldn't we? Yeah, well,
1: well. like Neil and I and, and, and Jim Cottle and a, and a few other friends, we actually went to um, a public event in Cardiff, um, I think, a week and a half ago where there was a similar capacity. There was a, around about 2,000 people. You know, again, this was amidst the, you know the outbreak of the coronavirus, so we knew the risk we were taking, but, you know, this was a week and a half ago. In my mindset, this was nowhere near as serious, uh, you know, a thing. Now, uh, as I thought it was back then, I, I, just I didn't... think this
3: is a thing as well. Every day, because you're constantly, you know, we, we've gone from sort of like teenagers of the news being on at nine or ten PM, yeah, to now you've got 24-hour news constantly on repeat. Just what one new story can we think mm-hmm. of? What new angle can we think to present the same story? It's you're just constantly getting, like you say, it's almost virus fatigue now, isn't it? it you is, know, because yeah. it's like overkill.
2: You know, two week two weeks ago, I was in a, a small town north of Amsterdam called Permerend. Uh, a friend of mine I met here, Dutchman, this guy named Rob, runs a trivia show. He's a quiz master, and uh, I love I love pub trivia. It's one of my things that I was a huge fan of. But then Noah, you know, my my good buddy Noah was the he's the quiz master. Of so I've looked at yeah, of course, everybody knows Noah. The big quiz thing, yeah. So I've tried to reset something like that up here because I love that public game thing. So I was at this small little town, one of these classic uh, North Holland villages. Um, it's a commuter place. I think where a lot of people go down further south. They either go to The Hague or they go to Amsterdam to work, but it's a beautiful little village. And so there's one of these little country pubs that's off to the, and the town square, and the, and the town square is called the Cow Market. That's exactly what you think it's going to be. They used to sell livestock there back at the turn of the century, turn of the last century, I should say. And so I think about uh, everybody was making making jokes, uh, you know, in English and Dutch two weeks ago, and all the uh, Europeans they were all doing the old three kiss thing on the cheeks. <laughs> so that, you know, I, I've got That's one of the things I'm still getting used to. In, in the continent is that one, two, three kiss thing. It's like, oh, okay, I guess we're gonna do that. Uh, so, some people were still. You still wouldn't go out in on. Wales, mate. You wouldn't go out in Wales. <laughs> 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 it's but it's just like oh, I mean granted the you know there the numbers were Bell, so much Well actually Neil always greets me like that so don't believe it. <laughs> <laughs> I just see it just seems like well not that we were naive because the numbers were so much more down to earth then but it's like now that that sounds Something as as simple and stupid as going to a pub and and meeting a bunch of Dutch people and drinking fucking uh, uh, Le Chouf blonde beer and answering questions about the rivers of Germany. Uh, You know, that sounds exotic now, even though it was just a commonplace thing that I took a bus a half hour of the city, uh, you know, north of the city last week. And I, I really hope. You know, that, that it, it's a simple pleasure and it's all we want. But that's like you said, the idea of like when you're inside, you, you mentioned going to the pub after you've been inside for a week and just saying, fuck it, man, I'm starting to get those driver's eyes. I've been on the road so long. I can't focus on something. It's just all miles coming at me with a vanishing point. And yeah, I think you're going to get that being inside, too. You, I mean, it's more than distractions. I think you sort of need to be spurred on. You need to, you know, humanity has to engage you, not just you going out in the world. You need to like answer questions. If you set this microphone up for me this week, tonight, I'd be talking into it regardless if it was turned on or not, because this is what I do anyway. I sit here like an asshole in my office, just chattering about Rathacon, whether anyone wants to listen or not, <laughs> until my wife shuts the door. But I mean, this is, first of all, it keeps me off the streets, you know, the tough streets, the main streets of Amsterdam. But I really do think that this is a small service that we can do for a... A elite group of people who actually give a fuck about the sound of our voices and what we have to talk about. Mm -hmm. And I thought about that when I put my – we did an episode of our podcast, uh, the I Don't Get It show. We we recorded it last Friday night. I put it out Sunday night for Monday morning. And I thought, Jesus, you know, someone's actually going to give a fuck about this. We're going to talk about these stupid little water-filled beads that are a toy. And it's the most unimportant thing, the most parochial pissant bullshit in the world. And yet someone's probably going to care. That it there's it just got this, me to work. It got you to work. <laughs> it got there's, me to work. This one little stake in normalcy, this one little bit of continuity that you can sort of just say, okay, well, at least there's that one thing. It's a podcast, man. It's like I I, I listen to them, you know, whatever you're, if I wasn't on this episode, I'd be listening to it because this is part of my cultural diet. I need to hear your voices. I need to, I need to think about what you guys are thinking about because we're all part of a family, you know, and I think there's a value to this. We absolutely have to keep doing stuff like this.
1: There, There is, Bill. I absolutely agree, but the way I feel today and the way I've been, and, and this is the, you know, today the, there's been a, a kind of change in the way I'm thinking. And at the moment, I just I just can't think of anything else. Um, it, It's on my mind all the time. I'm just hoping, above all hope, that we are able to sort of stem the spread of this virus sooner rather than later. And hopefully, you know, as much as the you know the guy mentioned earlier on the Joe Rogan podcast, who is an expert in this field, he says he doesn't think the warmer weather is really going to help. But again, you know, there's so many unknown variables at play here. I just hope that it does and putting into place these these measures which may have to be ramped up and made more extreme in order to stem the the spread of this virus i'm hoping that in a few weeks or maybe even months time we're all looking back on this and it's 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 passed and we're over it and we've learned from it and we're able to move on and deal with the fallout because there is going to be a huge fallout it it, it is it goes without saying that we're going to be plunged into another global financial recession possibly unlike one we've ever seen before and so we've also got that to deal with but you know there, there are things that we can do now we can look after the local small businesses it's like my, myself and my wife last night you know I, I take him i take my sons to judo class and the, the judo instructor is his full-time job uh he's converted a little church uh into his dojo which he pays rent on you know i was speaking to him and his wife beforehand and and they are just they're shitting themselves. That is their livelihood, and if this thing stops, and, and if he is not able to carry on this business, which he does every day in schools and clubs and you know, on, a, on a national level where he coaches people in judo, then he is not gonna be making any money. But he is still gonna be having to pay rent and and rates to his landlord, and you know any reserves he might have, uh, a finite you know if he's got anything at all. We do you know I, I don't know how he's you know living from day to day, but it's it's people like that. Like last night, I could have easily said my wife could have said no, we're not taking the kids to judo. But the fact is, you know they've been rolling around with their friends in school for you know six hours in in a day. Is it is it going to be that much more of a risk to let them go to judo in the night? I. And we made the decision that yeah we're gonna you know we should do it just to support little businesses. And then later that night, my wife was going to make tea. I said, you know what? Let's not bother. Let's have a Chinese takeaway. So we you know I went to our our local takeaway and you know we gave them our money just so we're doing our bit and keeping these small businesses afloat. Because luckily myself and Neil and you know a lot of other members of um, the Film Eighty Nine team, we don't work in the private sector. We work in the public sector, and our jobs as such are not going to be affected in the same way as, as people who work in shops as people who you know own
3: small businesses well, i, I just say it struck on with me today with both my neighbors i mean either side of me you've got a the one the one who works for an independent business as basically manages an independent business on behalf of the owner and the other one who actually owns and runs an independent business and mm. both of them now in a space of five six days since i last had a proper conversation with them have gone from being sort of yeah you know this This might be a bit of grief to you know you can see it's etched in their faces that yeah. their, their, Jesus, their yeah. entire livelihood could be gone within the space of you know the next three or four days and, you know it's not just small businesses oh, in, yeah, in the UK
1: yeah. alone you've got Flyby airline folded recently I think the tail end of that was due in most part to the coronavirus but now you've got BA yeah. you've got Virgin <coughs> telling their staff they've got to
3: take eight weeks, eight weeks unpaid, unpaid leave. leave, unpaid leave. You know, it's, who the hell can afford to take eight weeks unpaid leave? You know, and you got you got people who are on zero hour contracts. Yeah you know you could literally well there's um urban outfitters of the first major store to say already they've closed down now and yeah. they're, gonna, they're only going to do um online sales because all their staff are zero hour staff right. anyway so they can literally just say well you know when we open up if you want to come back and work yeah. for us great but if you don't well we'll get someone else in
1: well, my wife's youngest brother works for urban outfitters yeah so he and he is currently off work now because of this other members of my wife's family uh, i've just found out are now working from home Um, hopefully their jobs are not going to be at risk but again there's so
3: much uncertainty uh, you you just don't know but But like you say it's hard isn't it like you say with taking the kids to judo I mean Zach goes boxing twice a week you know for him it's more of a fitness thing I mean he's not following in the same way I did I would allow that but you know it's more of a fitness thing it's more of a social thing it's more of a confidence thing Mm. but like you know this week I was almost saying well perhaps he shouldn't go and then it's like, you're, you're sort of instilling into the kids then you can't go because that big bad virus is out there. Yeah. And if you go there, it's going to get you. You know, you've got to walk that fine line again. Like you say with the boys, they've, mm. well, they've been in school with kids all day. Mm-hmm. It doesn't really make any difference, you but, know? Yeah, Keep some normality see, in their yeah, life. I
1: think it's that way of thinking we've got to get away from because last weekend I went away with my family on a rugby tour with the kids. When we were away, we were thinking, my God, this environment is a breeding ground for germs and infection. And when we came back, we thought, right, okay, we've got a a few more trips planned and there's a football tour due in June. And we were already thinking ahead, thinking, my God, if this situation gets any worse, there's no way we're going to be able to go to that. Unfortunately, the organisers of that have already turned around and said the football tour is now cancelled and we're going to be getting a park refund on the money we've already paid. And and good, we don't need to be putting ourselves in any more risk. I think it's, it's unnecessary
3: risk. It is, area, it right? is. Uh, and
1: going on the advice now that clearly has been ignored for far too long, we do need to be avoiding that sort of thing. At least for a couple of weeks to maybe a month or so at least, just to put the halt on the spread of this virus because, again, I don't think anyone with any degree of common sense that lives in the UK certainly... Um, you know, I'm not going to comment on the healthcare systems of other countries because I simply haven't got the knowledge or experience to be commenting on that. But the UK healthcare system has got a very finite ceiling as to the
3: amount of capacity of intensive care patients it can cope with. I like and we, say, I know now, you know, my mother's a retired nurse, my sister's yeah. currently working as a nurse. The sort of the stress and strains of that health service is under before something mm-hmm. like this, you know? Yeah, I you know. I've got my, f- my sister's gone from literally having. Four members of staff on a war to just her. Yeah. You yeah. know, and that's that's in the last two or three years. So well,
2: there's not a single healthcare system on the planet that was built to deal with this. I mean, you no. know, when you're building and designing something, this is not the vision you have that you're going to need. I mean, there's just no way you could even presage something like this is going to happen. I'm not me, at least. Obviously, well, a smarter I, person. I was going
3: say, like, like Sky was mentioning about that expert on the Rogan show. I mean, you know, it's okay for him to say, you know, I did this, I did that. Until it actually presented with it, it's one of those things where it's like, well, do we really need the tiger insurance? There hasn't been a tiger, a tiger attack in 20 years, you know? <laughs> <laughs> and, you know, it, you're sort of stuck in that thing, really, aren't you? Like you say, until... So, I mean, the, the one good thing that is going to come from this is definitely there's going to be another virus. I mean, we've had the avian, avian flu, we've had SARS, we've had numerous other things, mad cow disease in this country you know sort of reared their ugly heads year on year there's going to be something else that's going to come along but hopefully yeah. next time we're going to be better prepared for it because i don't think we've ever had like you say such a global sort of yeah. impact it's always been con- you know con- confined, you know sort of confined to one area yeah. doesn't it that's what we need we need uh, a confinement protocol that needs to be
1: done on a national scale country by country in order to make sure that this doesn't happen again
3: but again, we need to go over this one first. And I don't I say I'm I not saying we should all join hands and sing Kumbaya, but it's just at the moment, I mean, it just seems like every man for himself or every person for himself. I should say, you know, if you look at like world leaders now and countries sort of policies, mm-hmm. everyone's doing something different. Yeah, they are. You know, I appreciate that things are different. You know, in different situations in different uh, locations and stuff. like That, but it doesn't seem to be a general narrative, does well, it? You know, look, you know, look at
1: the, look at the things like the. The, the riots in Australia where people have been fighting in stores over toilet paper. And that's, that's spread across the world. You know, toilet paper Locked is one the of the of things. things. <laughs> well, why are people buying stockpiles of toilet paper? Does, does COVID-19 attack your bowels? No. You know, it, it, it's completely irrational. Um, you know, I've been to several supermarkets today trying to find baby milk. Baby milk is just one of the things that is now being stockpiled, it seems. And looking on the shelves, you cannot find pasta. It's like what the fuck is going on? The yeah. people are stockpiling of all things. Past it. yes, it is a you know it's an energy-rich food, and you know it, it's, and it's quick and easy to and, yeah, yeah, great. I understand that, but these people who are panic buying and who are stockpiling stuff, they, it is so irresponsible. And I'm I am trying my damnedest, and my wife is is doing the same, not to go crazy
3: with our shopping. I'm pretty sure I could last two or three weeks on what I've got in my cupboard right now. Mm. You know, yeah, just. Tins of stuff that i buy and never yeah. use. A freezer full of food that of I course, yeah. can't be asked thawing out. Toilet paper, you know, I'm going to get really personal here. Part of my medical conditions, I've got a functionally disease bowel. So I'm going to need toilet paper a lot more than you are. Yeah. I don't need to have 300 rolls of toilet paper. You don't, exactly. You know, but yeah. I find myself, you know, say my father now has got a, uh, Crohn's disease and, you know, medical conditions and stuff like that. It's far more important for him to have alcohol gel to rub on his hands. Exactly. But it is for me. You know, I can wash my hands, yeah. you know, and the vast majority of people can just wash their hands, you know. What what's the situation over there in Amsterdam,
1: like Bill? Are people going crazy with the you know the stockpiling of, of, of goods that they don't really need?
2: You know, yes. I, I you know the question is what is what do they need, what don't they need? I've since learned that the rationale behind the fever you're talking about, not the literal fever, but the, 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 the shopping fever. Is that people have to think about if I can't move, if my if my shoes are nailed to the deck for 12 days, do I have everything that 12 days to, who knows, three weeks that I might possibly need without being able to leave the house? Let's say the supply chain is cut. It's knocked down. I, I've heard... Since that, they said there's plenty of pasta, there's plenty of beans, there's plenty of vegetables, and there's plenty of toilet paper in country here. In fact, they said that most of our paper goods come from Belgium. That's where the that's where the uh, fabrication is. So the, the danger is the idea of getting it uh, to the shelves and people coming in and depleting it, but not necessarily. It, it is not like a limitless supply, but there's enough to take care of everybody, but people act on a panic. But yeah, I'll tell you what, right now I went to the, uh, I've been to the grocery store here I'd say three times over the last seven days because I think we shop a little more frequently because we don't have a lot of uh, la- uh, a lot of space here in the house. I don't think anybody in Amsterdam has a ton of space. Our refrigerators are smaller. Our, our uh, cabinets are, are shorter, et cetera, et cetera. So people tend to go to the store more often and buy less because there's not a lot of place to put stuff. And that is a change from how it used to be in New York. I think we were able to carry a little more stuff even though we didn't have much more space. If You can follow the logic out. The supermarkets themselves here in Amsterdam and the Netherlands are smaller because they're inside the city. Even though they're serving a dense populated area, there does tend to be less stock inside because they're running a margin business too. So yes, you know what? I I could find carrots, no problem. I could find chickpeas, no problem. I could find lentils. I could find prepackaged meat, tinned tinned, uh, tuna fish. But the one thing that was missing, of course, was a toilet paper. Uh, a lot of astringent material. There was no bleach left over. Um, certainly, they had depleted eggs. The bread was gone. Anything that was uh, seen as a, a pretty fast moving commodity that has a, as a perishable shelf life, mm. those things have been gone. But I, my, I'm under the impression that they were going to come back. If you just have to, if you can if you can weather five or six days. My guess is the shelves will be back to full strength.
3: You know? Yeah, that's kind of my that's kind of my take on it. To be honest, Bill is you know i don't think you need to have you know prep for the apocalypse just yet do you, you know like you saying, at the end of the day if i can not buy a packet of pasta I'll, eat just, something else. I'll just eat something else you know <laughs> <laughs> i mean at the moment i live in honest tuna and rice anyway and that's like self-imposed so i'm pretty <laughs> sure i can get by. i'm pretty sure i can get by anyway you know <laughs>
2: I was going to say that I personally don't smoke the – I don't smoke the halfling's pipe weed, as Gandalf said, (laughs) but my wife does. I'm an old-fashioned man. You guys know me. I prefer my spirits brown, and uh, there's no shortage of that here. Uh, But on Sunday night, they they had issued a half hour before uh, 6 p.m. that night that they were about to shut down the coffee shops, and I know that the professionals – they already got their shit straight. My <laughs> wife has, a, you know, she's got herself a bombshell supply. I mean, she likes a deep bench of things. One of the beauties of coming to this country is that, you know, it's pretty much legal or at least it's tolerated here so that you can get what you want as much as you want. And it's all yours. Freedom to smoke it. But all the people who come here who are tourists, who are just bombing the place, were making these gigantic queues. It looked like a 1980s Kremlin toilet paper line, <laughs> uh, you know, from somewhere outside the Politburo, just seeing that people were freaking the fuck out. And, I mean, you know, you talk about the two things that this city is, I guess, known for infamously. One is the weed trade and the other is the uh, the fuck shops, right? The sex. And I, I, this I, – it just made me think of something I never thought of before. It's like if you are t- talking about a disease that is issued in little globules – little green globules, as they say in Spinal Tap, <laughs> having some Serbian guy running on top of you <laughs> face-to-face has to be an immunological nightmare. I mean, you talk about the very first thing you need to do is – shut those goddamn things down but it, it is it is it's a livelihood that is you know has come to be very well protected by the state but it's got to be the lowest hanging of all the possible fruits you know like you can't allow two people to communicate that closely to one another because you are that's that is a a petri dish it is it is and
1: again how long this is going to go on for i don't know but Let's not forget that the Film Eighty Nine podcast is a podcast about film, television, and all things sort of culturally <laughs> enriching.
3: What do we think about how what's this, this, week's, what's this week's this week's film's outbreak? Yeah, oh, yeah. <laughs> Twenty-eight days later, contagion. Yeah, there's a there's a whole list of films that we We're could. Going to have, talk about. Mad Max now, guys. Oh, <laughs> John,
2: you, John Chris was watching Andromeda Strain. He was putting. Oh, the moment. Andromeda Strain!
1: Yes, good old Robert Wise, 1971. I think. So yeah, you know, what do you think, Bill, about how this is going to affect that you know the film,
2: television, and entertainment industry in general? I think that because uh, I have a couple of friends who work in the business. You know, one of our mutual friends, Adam Rackoff, cuts uh, professionally, so he's tangential uh to to um I wouldn't say the actual you know workings of motion picture filmmaking but he does he does work in the business for sure and my best friend in new york is a manager at one of the trailer houses. They cut a lot of feature film stuff and TV. It's all that, uh, you know, uh, advertising, publicity. You know, he's telling me that, you know, they're cutters, I man. What they do is they're, they're all on Avid avid machines. So these guys, they're young kids, probably 27, 26. They all have, no one has families for the most part, except for him, because he's middle-aged like me. But these guys can work at home. But they're already starting to feel the cinch because production's slowing down. So it's not like, you know, their job's certainly that they need to think about, campaigns that you're cooking up for the fall or what they're working on now but the things that are behind those is where you have this, the, the stop off where they're not going to have new campaigns and you know that's going to affect the union guys that's going to affect the gaffers it's going to affect everyone who you know the actors there's going to be a big gulf in work and then the people it's going to rain down to guys like him Everyone who's making one sheets people who are making trailers tv spots bumpers anything like that I thought that one of the conversations, uh, Sky, that we were having on the back channel, this sort of Slack channel for, for Wrong Reel, was what about unusual and heretofore undiscovered delivery methods, VOD for feature films? Because yeah, it's like, You have nothing to lose right now, man. I know that Disney announced today that they are pushing back, even though I heard for sure that they were going to stick the landing on Black Widow because they were so congested, have such a tight grid work. They weren't going to fuck that up. Mm. But they are apparently going to push that back a couple of months. But I thought, man, and we were all talking about it. Why not use Disney Plus? Why not like take people's arms, bend them behind their back, push them over the table, heel of your palm on the back of their neck and say, you fuckers, you got to buy Disney Plus if you want to see Black Widow.
3: I think with Black Widow, I think without being too sort of cynical about it, it's because Marvel have sort of got it in the neck for not doing a female-led superhero. I know they did Captain Marvel, so I'm not saying it's totally exclusive. But if they pushed it back now and put it onto Disney Plus, would that be seen in some quarters? It's a cynical move.
1: No, but I think because this is all it, the the cause of this, the root cause of this. It's like you know, the the two thousand eight financial downturn was because of the the, the mismanagement and and the, and the poor working practices of the banks. That that was a very much a a human factor which caused. You know, a huge knock-on effect, and a lot of you know, sort of mistrust of the banks and things like that. This this is an external factor which is is affecting you know the the sort of financial strategy that big companies now having to put in play. And I think because it's coming from an external source, and if they release this film now, a large percentage of the population is simply not going to go and see these films. So it it makes sense for either to shelve them uh, until we, are hopefully, God willing, through all of this, or. Like you see, um, you know, there's, there's alternative methods of delivery, and none more safer than well, you, you know, on uni- demand.
3: Universal, or heavily rumored now yeah. to be releasing the Invisible Man now on video on demand. Yeah, I, lo- I love Friday. that
2: idea. And first of all, I saw that movie already. Uh, thumbs up. I co-signed that. That's going to be one of my favorites of the year for sure. Yeah. And I think that's fucking hell on wheels, man. I think you should absolutely. Na- I trolls. I hope they shoot Trolls into space. No one needs more of that. But if that gets well, more if you're, eyeballs- st- if you're
3: stuck for two weeks with a young child, Trolls 2 might be a blessing in disguise, <laughs> <Yeah>. trust me. <laughs> <laughs> and if you've only really got it for 48 hours, that's great, because they can only watch it at least 16 times then.
2: <laughs> but I-, I know that Invisible Man is definitely underseen, and uh, I- I'm coming on board with the whole Lee L project. And if... Putting it VOD for twenty twenty five dollars I would have... If I didn't already see it, I definitely would jump at it. This is what I was saying
3: earlier. With a lot of sort of smaller scale... All right, you're not going to get Endgame on VOD. But a lot of sort of smaller... One of the sort of common sort of criticisms nowadays is everything has to be a blockbuster. There's no middle-range films, you know, being me, because they just aren't profitable. And I can kind of understand that. You know, especially, you know, sort of films of that ilk, the sort of mid-budget films, usually appeal to people who have got kids, who have got work, who have got commitments, who can't always get to the cinema. So you don't have that initial rush. You don't have that sort of bonanza opening weekend, you know? Yeah. I think, you know, with Video On Demand, I mean, that's a great idea. I mean, I think more films should be doing it. Most films should be doing this for sort of smaller scale mm-hmm. productions anyway. I mean, if you look at the sort of Netflix phenomenon, I mean, someone's going to trump me on this, but I can't think of one film that's come out on Netflix, exclusively on Netflix, that has been, you know, an absolute stormer of a film. I mean, I know Steve Lindsley hit me with the Irishman straight away after that, but but that, that's not the theatrical release. So yeah, that, you know, but yeah, you know, yeah, but but yeah. I say that, true, so, yeah. I would say probably ninety five percent of people watch out, mm. you know, watch that on Netflix. You know, yeah, uh, yeah, you know yeah, let's sure. be honest, let's be completely mm. straight. But I mean, the sort of common knock with Netflix is you get your sort of your brights and uh, what was a Mark Wahlberg's latest film, Spencer.
2: Oh Something yeah, Spencer over Hire or
3: whatever.
1: Yeah. Well, look, you know, where are we at the moment actually? You know, we're we're the 17th of March, or actually a week before the UK launch of Disney Plus. Yeah. Now, a lot of people I've spoken to are kind of on the fence about, you know, whether or not they want to dip their hands in their pockets and pay for another subscription service. You know, you've got Sky TV in the UK, which is the main source of of television, which is just extortionate. I stopped it last September. I don't miss it. There yeah. are other avenues to get TV for far cheaper. I have a subscription to Netflix, and, and again, I've got Amazon Prime. Most of my watching is actually done through that or Catch Up, which is provided free you know, with the likes of BBC iPlayer, ITV Hub, things
3: like that. Well, I'm totally, I'm totally away from the teat now, and I'm totally, I'm not linked up to anything now. So everything I watch is Wi-Fi based. Yeah, yeah, so, yeah. You know, well, same so, year. Uh, I, yeah, yeah, yeah. No, but I literally, I haven't, I haven't even got digital terrestrial no account. no that's you know, right like, and
1: do I want to pay you know for another subscription TV service and sweetening the deal by throwing a you know a lot of these up and coming films certainly like Black Widow onto that yeah that would sweeten the deal for a lot of people but then I'm reading stuff that Disney is now having to halt production on the likes of Falcon and the Winter Soldier Loki's Loki soldiers, yeah. if you look at the list of, of upcoming productions which are affected by this they, 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 you know, there is no one who is safe obviously I think one of the first ones was uh, No Time to Die, was moved to uh, yeah, October. November. November. Yeah. From, from I think, a May release. Uh, that was one of the first. You know, you've got um, A Quiet Place 2. John Krasinski has, has, has come out on social media to say that that film at the moment has been shelved indefinitely. Obviously, it's going to be released at some point. Fast Nine. I Fast mean, Nine. This,
3: this is one we found out that John Cena was Dom's brother.
2: Yeah. You exactly. know, honey, I mean, what
3: more did you need? <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah.
1: Fast Nine. <laughs> Yeah, which clearly from the trailer shows Vin Diesel catching a f- car as it flies through Dude, the air. It looks like he's catching <laughs> the gotta car. You've got to feel sorry for
3: Vin Diesel. That's literally yeah. all he's got going Everything saying I am Groot is Fast and Furious films. Yeah. And then The other, the other Rock came in and sort of stole a thunder, did Hobson Shore, and he was like, how can I get back at him? Oh yeah, yeah. John Cena's my brother. <laughs> well,
2: think about this. Disney made an entire live-action movie specifically to win China for the first time because Disney's track record Yeah, yeah, on, man. On has been, and mainland China has been such bullshit uh, because people, the, the Chinese don't follow. I mean, some things have done okay, but for the most part, uh, the brand IP stuff just falls on its face so they really put everything they had into finally making a Chinese hit and then son of a bitch you know they can't release it here and it's like they still can't release it in China like whatever it's supposed to do here it's definitely gonna make a billion but they were thinking it was gonna clean up in China the likes of which no Disney movie has ever done before and it's, it's all I mean I don't feel bad about Disney don't get me wrong I'm just saying as an observer someone who watches the industry these things are interesting when they happen this way well oh, Bill you say you don't give a shit
1: about Disney you know <laughs> you, you you do you do kind of frequent quite uh, often their parks and my God Shills. Disney World Disneyland closing you know. That is just... Yeah. That's unprecedented. I, you know, it's
3: it's, it's it's tough with a Disney thing, isn't it? Because no one wants to see a Monopoly in it. You know, we, we sort of frequently joke about it as well. But then you just think, well, there's just MCU, there's Star Wars, whatever yeah. you want. You know, yeah. <laughs> and I, it's wrong. They're buying everything up. But then uh, who else is doing it? You know? well, yeah.
1: But then you you look at, you know, go, going back to the parks. You know, I, I've just spent a weekend away and, and one of the couples there um, have now got to cancel their uh, trip of a lifetime to America, which includes going to Disney World. Now, fortunately, my family and I were able to do this last year. If this had been us this year and we were, uh, you know, and and we we went uh, in May of 2019, if we were going in May of 2020 and we had this hanging over us now, we would be absolutely devastated. And even if we did get all of the money back from insurance, we would still be just completely gutted about the fact that this amazing trip which the kids were really looking forward to
3: had been cancelled so i've actually told zach that i was planning to surprise him by taking a visit <laughs> next week but unfortunately <laughs> so it's all it's too bad now it's like every time the ice cream band plays music i tell them that's because they've run out of ice cream
2: <laughs> yeah i'm not i'm not making like there are real tragedies that have happened to a lot of real people in fact one of our common friends tony apparently has this thing you know I mean it's really being really affecting people however I I will agree if you had to cancel some trip it it is in its own way you got your pocket picked it's not life or death yeah
3: that's right
1: and ultimately you know as much as we are films and television there's a lot
3: of people who sort of like you know save for years to to take their family away so yeah, you know I can understand completely where they're coming from you know we we sit there you know for hours
1: on end you know espousing our love for film television and, and all of these sort of cultural things but ultimately None of that is as important as your friends, your family, and your health. And this is the key issue at the moment. But then linked to that is the financial side of things. You know, the, the entertainment industry employs millions of people, and it, it's all going to be grinding to a halt
3: just, if, if just it hasn't as, already. Just as a sort of straw poll here between the three of us now, like let's just pick one of the films. Let's say Bond, yeah? Yeah. If Bond comes out and it's $20, so what's that going to be to us? Like 17 quid or something, or 16 quid?
2: Mm-hmm.
3: Are you paying to watch that at home? Yes. If I got that for 48 hours, if I go to the cinema uh, and I take Zach to the cinema, by the time I've gone in, paid for the seats, sat down at something, I'm looking 30, 40 quid. But I I mean, just from the point of view of Maybe if you had, if you picked another film, I was probably okay, more yeah, I was going to I, I was gonna say we would have ended up watching Bond because we we're going to do well, a Bond we, episode. Yeah, we were going to do, do a Bond yeah, episode. that's right. But, yeah.
1: but if you're taking away the choice, then yeah, I, I guess I'm going to have to. You know, if I
3: say Quiet Place Two, or if I name any other film that's going to be, you know, if oh, I, Black Widow. Black Widow. Okay. Yeah. So are you paying? Are you paying twenty? Let's not even look at dollars. Are you paying twenty of the Queen's English pounds to watch Black Widow at home for forty-eight hours?
2: If if it's my only choice, then yeah, I, I'm going to have to. Yeah, Bill. Yeah. Look at done, man. If I'm going to see it, I, I, this is the thing. I'm also, I have enough discretionary income that I, I don't, I don't blanch it. I don't, I mean, I, you, you set the price. I, you were saying $25 when I was texting my friends back in the States, I always said 25 bucks. Tell me I can buy, you know, 25 bucks, 48 hours. I'm there, whatever it is. You avatar six, whatever the fuck you want. Infinity war. I'll do it. $25. But yeah, uh, I think if I want to see it, and I'm I'm paying for the privilege of not going to the cinema, and I'm not saying that I don't love going to the theater because I do, especially here. There's a lot of good ones, a lot of good small ones in Amsterdam. I'm just beginning to find the 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 little vagaries and the you know the weird little curlicues of this place. But I'm, I would gladly watch this shit at home. In fact, you know, we brought up the Universal thing before, but one of the movies that they were discussing was The Hunt, yeah, which which our mutual friend Jamie Hancock had done a review of, and mm-hmm. you know, this was one of those movies that got shelved under a lot of um you know weirdness because it had I think had an American class thing going on but it's finally coming out or is coming out but they're considering making it VOD and I'll admit that's that's a bubble movie where I'm just interested enough wondering I I definitely would not have seen it in a theater I probably would have waited until it was out on VOD or or something like that but if you're going to say I can watch it now during the hellscape curiosity's going to get a better Yeah. yeah man I would seriously give it a shot I mean I look I have I'll
3: tell you something we haven't thought of you get a film like an Avatar 6 and you release that on VOD And we all watch it this year. Next year, the director's cut, the James Cameron special edition, comes out in the cinemas. And you make twice as much money. Mm. Because people who enjoyed it want to go and see on the big screen. Whether that works, I
1: don't know. know, They've they've released that. What uh, people were being missold at the time was a a longer reissue of Avengers Endgame, which wasn't. It just had a bit of deleted footage at, at the end of it. Yes, it did push it. Just over the threshold to become the, the the most financially successful film of all time. You or I, you know, that that was one of our favorite, if not our favorite film from last year.
3: Did we want to go and see it
1: again just for a few extra minutes of footage? No, we didn't.
3: No, but what I'm saying is, you you are going to get people, you know, who are gonna, aficionados or people who just fall in love with the film. I mean, we we went to watch Die Hard. I don't. I'd, I'd watch Die Hard anyway. I'd watch it on my phone on a bus, and I'd watch it, you know, on a big mm. screen. But I mean, part of the appeal for me was, I I mean, literally Die Hard. I could quote that film verbatim. You and I both but, can. But, yeah. But part of the the thrill for me was, I never got to see Die Hard in the cinema. And I never got to see Die Hard on the big screen. One of the you great, know, yeah, and, one of. Yeah, You know, if you get it... You know, it's what we always say. The best the best thing you can do to have a successful film yeah. is make a good film. So if someone out there has got a good film and they release it on VOD, the potential there is to make twice as much money. But
1: I think the reason why I need jerk-answered no, I wouldn't want to pay to watch those films on the small screen is because of that. Just the, to me, the value of the big screen experience. And having watched uh, Die Hard, uh, The Christmas Before Last, with you, Neil, in the cinema, and I, it, was, you know, it was a film I'd seen countless times, but that was... Probably the most I've ever enjoyed it, apart from maybe the first time I ever saw it. There was something about that theatrical re-watching of that film, which was just completely unlike anything else. And I think it was last summer when Jaws was re-released in the cinema. I had never been, I'd never seen Jaws theatrically. And taking my then eight-year-old son to see Jaws and to watch his reaction and also my own enjoyment of the film, which, again, I've seen countless times and is one of my two favourite films. How is he around water now? <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> but, you know, he... That that was an experience unlike any other, and going back to another film from last year, can you imagine how much of a different experience it would have been if our only viewing of Avengers Endgame had been on the small screen?
3: Yeah, that's why I'm saying it. All right, to some degree, it, it was it was a
1: social thing. It, it was it was a shared experience, and, and watching this. You know this monumental event in film, this culmination of you know 20 odd so films, there was something very special about
3: it. And we well, are now going like to be say, that's more of a cultural ph- phenomenon, isn't it? That's, yeah, like yeah, you say, it, it, it is. It is. But we, we don't know. But what, I, I uh... can watch, I can watch a quiet place too quite easily on my again, yeah, I know, inch plasma. I know. You, know, yeah. I, you know, so <laughs> that's most people got huge, most people got huge TVs these days. You know, it's not we're not watching on
1: but black and white portables. It's having the choice taken away from you, and the fact that we now can't just comfortably go
3: to the cinema. You know, are the cinema's still open, you know? are they open at the moment? They've uh, Showcase, I think, and Odeon, I think, and that tonight have announced their closing.
2: Jesus they're, Christ. They're kiboshed, they're kiboshed here. Hey, let me, let me. you know, since we're talking about this, I, I thought of something else. One, Some of the podcasts, I, I have to admit, I listen to a lot of Disney-related podcasts that cover all the different precincts. And there's this movie coming out that they're still discussing, that I know you guys have opinions on. And it's the, it's the intersection between the planning of Indiana Jones 12, uh, now apparently directed by James Mangold, and what looks like a extended production shutdown a hiatus for all we know for a lot of movies now this is one of those things where will this push a couple of movies into oblivion that were on the bubble of being made? Now, Disney is saying that, of course, they're going to make it. They say Lucas, what is it, Kennedy and Marshall are going to make this. They got Ford on board to do it. They, you know, they have some sort of, they're working on a script. They have to, don't quite have the script, but I really don't want to see this. I don't care if it's James Mangold. I don't want to see it.
3: Exactly. Like, the break might actually work in their favor as in getting a good script, but I don't want to see Indy 5 unless I do my script. It might actually work into their advantage, but I think what we might see a lot of sort of what if films where you know I mean the, the biggest sort of and worst example of that was Gemini Man it took about 25 years to make didn't mm-hmm. it you know and that was a complete failure but I think there may be a few sort of projects now that are go, naturally going to go to the wayside aren't they in like sort of 10-15 years time we'll be probably reading articles on Film89 about all these great movies well, that the, never got made
1: have you know? guys heard now that apparently Avatar 2 is going to be shifted back to 2046 they brought it forward <laughs> <laughs> but That <laughs> soon, wow. yeah. So, uh, talking about a film that is literally, it's it, it, it's like it's it's like a quantum singularity. It is something that you're never going to get to because time between now and seeing that film is going to be stretched to infinity. It's never coming out. He spent
3: so much time working on the new Terminator films <laughs> that they just did that. For yeah. you know?
1: Look, guys and girls, let's just hope we pull through this. Uh, because there's a lot of uncertainty in the world at the moment but one thing is for sure that you're never going to be seeing Avatar 2 it exists at a distant <laughs> point in the future that humanity is never going to get to I think the universe will end before James Cameron finishes Avatar
3: 2 he's just going to use this time to think of a better substance name than Unobtainium oh my god <laughs> literally it's, it's not a bad film but i got to be honest I was sat in the cinema they said Unobtainium and I was just like I'm out my head. Like, I just, I, I just I, I, switched I, off like, though I am not <laughs> I, I'm not
1: really one of these Avatar 2 haters, although I will happily poke fun at the thing that you know I it, don't it's it, it stances like it with smurfs, isn't it? It is, you know, yeah. <laughs> it, it, it's basically taken other you know tried and tested tales and sort of reposited them yeah. into this futuristic thing. But you know, I don't mind the film, I really don't mind it at all. But for James Cameron to go do all of this effort to make another four sequels set in this universe that are we really that particularly invested in I, I just think he could have best put his efforts to other things Bear in mind this is a guy that from 1984 to maybe 1994 had this unbroken run of five fantastic, in fact,
3: outright classic films. I, I waited 20 agree. years for a sequel to Unbreakable, mate. Don't worry about it. I know what it feels like with devs cry. <laughs> I've seen Glass. <laughs> James Cameron is a
1: filmmaker for me. There, there are maybe four of his films that I just hold in the absolute highest regard. And for those four films alone, I'll always be grateful to the guy. He's an incredibly... Talented filmmaker and writer, and he's got a great grasp of the technical side of things and also just writing scripts. But to see him waste so much time on these films, yes, they're gonna no doubt deliver these amazing technical wonders. They, you know, we're gonna be, you know, having the film directly beamed in, into our brain in Avatar 5. But I, I just think if you make the most successful film ever made in 2009, yeah. you don't take Eleven years to make the sequel, and again I say that you know we're still nowhere near seeing Avatar two.
3: What has he been doing? He was endorsing Terminator Genesis, uh, mm-hmm. uh, but you sit in the cinema, bum, you're there. The lights go off. It's great.
1: Yeah, that's that's most films,
3: James. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. If, if the lights don't go off, you're going to go out and complain to the usher. And then he was uh, producing. Uh, Alita, which yep. was uh, yeah. was all right, and then he was uh, producing Terminator Dark Fate. Fate? Fate? We've done an Fate? episode of Bowie Neal, which I, I watched. I watched. He said, "You know, you sit in the cinema and boom, the lights go off." <laughs> <laughs> he says <that>
2: Again. <laughs> hey, what was the budget of the first Terminator? Was it four? Uh, it was the it first four, Terminator was
1: six point four million dollars.
2: Okay, and it's like and and Alien Aliens rather was not much. I think Aliens was had like a 12 or, or it was it was also peanuts for concerning the kind yeah. of movie, but prime example that's a guy who works with nothing better than he works with a lot of stuff. It's yeah. he thrived on slim margins uh, in a creative environment and made that stretch a lot further than giving him all the money in the world. And writing, you know, writing a blank check I think you get a lot less from him in terms of a creative yield That's what's been proven so far Now I'm not saying that, what is he now, 70, 71, mm. 72 he's, he's not a young man anymore no. Maybe he doesn't have that same flexibility he did in 1984 But you know, like, unfortunately You're going to look at his career and say just exactly what you said This guy worked better with less
1: Yeah, than, definitely But again, that, again I, I, I fully agree with that And I do wish that there would be constraints placed on him Because when you give someone access to infinite resources then you sort of stifle that creative necessity, that, that sort of thing where, yeah, when he had $6.4 million, he 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 had to work with what he had at the time. But again, he proved that when he, you know, in 1991, when he made Terminator 2 and he had $100 million, he put that money to great use to revolutionize the special effects industry. And and for better or worse, the you know, the advent of CGI has given us films that practical effects simply couldn't give us. And I will stand by, as we said on our Terminator Dark Fate
3: episode, Terminator Two has got special effects in it that to this day still stand up. It was literally when we went to watch the 25th anniversary, we both said if that was a new film, it would have. Yeah, you know, have, yeah, If this absolutely. was like a new release, we'd have been equally yeah. as impressed. And yeah. you,
1: you cannot fault the guy for his, you know, the the way he has made that 100 million dollar budget into a film that is just—it's a timeless masterpiece. It's a classic. It—it's it, just—it's fantastic. And and again, when he had a similarly big budget in 1989 with the abyss granted at that time he didn't finish the film the making of the abyss is just one of the most fascinating making ofs of any film you know he, he had to actually go back two or three years later to finish making the film but then for me the final product you know the the, the full-length special edition of the abyss is is up there with the likes of aliens and Terminator and Terminator 2 it's a fantastic Absolutely. film and yeah. more, more than any of his films the abyss has got it's got character. It's got you know some of the best moments in that film, and not the action and not the, the amazing underwater set pieces they, it's that resuscitation scene with Ed Harris and Mary Elizabeth Mastrantonio
3: almost like, like character driven storyline. exactly Yeah, yeah. It is, it's, <laughs> everything you know, is missing from films me. today
1: <laughs> he, he, he ekes a performance out of Michael Bean that is without being a full on scenery chewing villain is just a, an amazing performance it always amazes me how Michael Bean just never became you know, uh, a, a more if revered, Mike, popular Michael, actor than he Michael was. Michael Bean had
3: got the Riggs role for Lethal Weapon, which he was in serious contention yeah. for, I'm telling you, Michael Bean would be, he, he well, he'd probably be the expendable seven That's now, but he yeah, would yeah. be a lot more remembered than he is, let's be honest, yeah. But yeah, exactly. well, what
2: about the parallel universe where James Remar got the Michael Bean role in Aliens? Exactly, yeah. 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 Well,
1: he did actually get the role, didn't he? Obviously, he had to leave because of, um, well, I, I think he's actually come to admit you now that he had a bit of a drug problem at the time. Creative differences, yeah. I believe. Creative differences.
2: <laughs> Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I like cocaine, and they don't like that. I like. No. I creatively want to snort cocaine
3: <laughs> in various different fashions.
1: Again, every crowd. If James Remar had stayed on Aliens, maybe then he would never have played uh, Raiden in Mortal Kombat Annihilation. <laughs> <laughs> now, there's an episode we need to do with Martin Kessler one day. Uh, the Mortal I would, I Kombat. Will, I will film. sponsor that. I will
2: oh. be the one pa- Patreon oh. sponsor that will make sure that happens. See me.
1: Sorry, Martin, I don't know why I've associated you with a like of that film, but I do know that Martin does like that sort of, you know... And again, you know, he, he's going to hate me for this, but he does love the Resident Evil films. <laughs> I, that's, that's something I think we've, I have we've to...
3: All, we've, all got a, we've all got a little secret got We that. have, we have.
1: <laughs> going forward, who knows, you know, what, what the long-term effects on the film industry are going to be. My God, you know, I just want it to be at some point in the near future us all sat back in the cinema in a communal environment you know sharing this experience this thing that we love this thing that we've built websites and podcasts and and whole communities around i just want a return to normal at the moment you know when you ask me questions as to whether or not i would want to pay you know 15 20 pounds for black widow my answer is going to be no i want to be able just to go and see it in the cinema i want to be out you know the the other end of this and uh, out
2: of this fucking nightmare unscathed and, you know, I just want everything to be better. It sounds like such a simple thing, you know, like you're literally just a few days ago, this was our reality. And now it's it's dimmed and, and it's really in mm-hmm. some sort of doubt. Of course, it's going to be some shape. Who the hell knows what it is? But, yeah, I mean, it's amazing that something so benign and something so taken for granted could uh, just be right out of our grasp. Uh, we, couldn't have, we couldn't have imagined a world that would proceed like this. Wasn't
1: it Tracy Chapman that said, you know, you don't know what you've lost the list gone." No, that was uh, Johnny, no. Mitchell, Johnny Mitchell. Same, yeah, yeah same. Yeah, Joni Mitchell. The- Ballpark. Yeah, same Ballpark. <laughs> who was, yeah, the fast,
3: fast who was, was Tracy Chapman? It Fast Car. Oh, it's Fast Car. Yeah. Oh, yeah,
1: yeah. <laughs> I always get those two mixed up. You get my point. It's, you only appreciate something once you've had it taken away from you and you, you've had to go without it. And you we,
3: can, know. we can look at the positives. How many times does someone say to you, have you watched numerous box sets? And you go, it's on my list of things to do. Is hmm. the, and we have both uttered this phrase. There's just so much to watch that sometimes you just don't have the time to do oh, it. Oh God, yeah. Now you've got the time to do it. All well, the cinemas yeah. are closed. I mean, you can go and watch, catch up on Picard if you want to. Right. Anyway, Bill. <laughs> no, in, in, in an See altern- that? Yeah. That, that was that was there was a subtle
1: sort of link there, wasn't it? That's what you call a segue. <laughs> in, in an alternate universe, Bill, where uh, you know we were spending the night with Mr. Shatner and then subsequently recording an episode. I think part of our episode would have been talking about Star Trek Picard. So I will open the floor to you Mr. Scurry.
2: Yeah, I maybe I don't know if you guys are watching it. I I mean well, yes, Sky it, unfortunately. I, <laughs> I know yeah, I, I know Sky's watching it. I I'm having I'm having a tough time with the show in that I I don't fight people online about it. I just have nice hum uh, humdrum uh, conversations with people who are also really lukewarm about the damn thing. And that I think the only episode so far this season that really jumped was the – I think it was probably Seven, the one with – With Riker? Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, me too. It it was the chemistry. It was just the familiarity. It wasn't necessarily – I didn't love what they did with those characters. I didn't love the whole dead child angle and the the, the person who speaks their own fake languages and – a lot of that stuff the idea of making pizza in a backyard i can get down with it seemed like it was the big chill a little bit but that's fine these characters are old but up to that point, though, you know, somebody said that the issue with Star Trek now is that it's being written and filmed and designed as if it were a feature. Uh, all these TV shows don't look like the way the TV shows used to be shot. Yeah. And obviously you can't get away with that anymore because most big budget television shows do mimic features in the way their photography is. And that's one of the hallmarks of peak TV now. But I feel like watching Picard, it's, it's getting away from itself because it's losing a lot of the um, fundamentals of what makes. Made the tv show next generation you know really vital in the first place
3: yeah like you say everything now seems to be a sort of um, uh, an eight piece story really isn't it or mm-hmm. a 10 piece story and perhaps some of the sort of allure to this, was definitely the next generation was you had good episodes and bad episodes but mm-hmm. they were a lot of them were standalone single stories so obviously yep. the change of format doesn't seem to be working with picard i gotta be honest with no. me and it's just look the, the, this new iteration of star trek even with
1: Discovery, it's just too damn cynical. It's not Star Trek. It's not this sort of giving us a, a bright future to aspire to where we all work together, where we put aside the pursuit of money and power and things like that. That that element of Star Trek that was just there from the start in Gene Roddenberry's vision is not being carried forward into these latest iterations of Trek. And it seems to me as if this is Star Trek made by people who just don't understand what the very essence of Star Trek is and I don't expect everything to be bright and breezy I do like dark and cynical and gritty but there are things in Star Trek Picard and you know to a lesser extent Discovery that are just unrelentingly grim and harrowing and just there's just a negativity that permeates this whole show and don't even get me started on i'm no prude you know menial i swear like a trooper you know i I often swear on this podcast i I do apologize for for that to i you know younger more easily offended listeners. Why am I assuming young people are easily offended? That's that's ageist. That's terrible.
3: <laughs> They're probably the ones who would just oh, like yeah, love it yeah. when we drop an F-bomb. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, we swore. Oh, great.
1: <laughs> but, you know, to anyone who, who, who doesn't like swearing, you know, I, I do swear myself. But to hear these these admirals talking to Jean-Luc Picard in the way they are, telling, and, and in the latest episode, telling shut him, him to up. shut the fuck up. Uh, the you don't b- say that to the guy who saved Earth from assimilation. You sit opposite him in reverence of him and you show him the fucking respect
3: he deserves. The show, the showrunners, and Alex Kurtzman, and you know whoever is. What episode was it? It was the episode of Discovery where I can't remember the character's name. It was I only watched the first season where she went on Tilly, and, yeah, the, you know, Ensign Tilly. This is the shit's has got the fucking fan or whatever she said. Yeah, yeah. And everyone, went, whoa, Star Trek dropped an F bomb, and it was like, yeah, you've done it though. I, I just noticed in this one every now and then they're just doing it. It's like the the sort of shock factor. It's it's almost like it's almost corny. It's like oh, I'm gonna oh my I'm god, gonna say, yeah. fuck no! It's, it, it, like, it's actually yeah, it's
1: <laughs> cringeworthy. Whereas you go back to like the likes of oh my God, back in 1994 when we first heard Data say shit in Star Trek yeah. Generations, we were all like oh wow, swear track. But this is just taking it to another level and having that Admiral drop those f bombs. It's like Jesus. Ten
3: percent of her dialogue is the word "fuck," and it didn't really. It doesn't. It doesn't really sit with this sort of character at it all, does it? it doesn't. You know? Not if, at all. you're know, the sort of like the sort of gnarly sort of ship captain they've got, who's got like all the different sort of personas, yeah. You know, if one of those was like a really sort of sweary persona hologram, yeah, sure, that'd actually be quite funny. Yeah, having, <laughs> yeah having this very well
1: sort of educated, high-ranking Star Trek officer sat opposite Jean-Luc Picard and trash talking him. Yeah, it's like what the f-? really. Is, is that what we've come to? You don't come at the White House
3: Bowl, man. No, exactly. <laughs> well, I, I, don't I think we can that, play the, that shit.
2: <laughs> the, the vision of, if it's Alex Kurtzman has been the big guy so far, or, yeah. or if it's if it's the writer's room, what what, what I believe is called the secret hideout, I've heard James referred to it as such, um, or if it's just Paramount slash CBS slash whomever that owns this brand, there is a disconnect in what they think Star Trek is and what it could be and what it should be.
3: Yeah, it's kind of being done by committee, isn't it? I think, yeah,
2: yeah. But the idea, like, you can't make the type of show we were used to up until very recently. Even though the numbers, you know, like, let's not forget, Next Generation was one of the most expensive TV shows to produce, and it had enormous ratings and syndication for its day and age. Now we're not living in that age anymore, but the proof was there that you can have a show that is that's serial. Or it's not episodic it's episodic rather, rather yeah. than serial. And you know, you don't have to naturally attach all of this strange dirt and grime and tarnish to Gene Roddenberry's Starfleet image from the city. You could you could have. A version of that no money, no war, no avarice society and still tell interesting stories because they managed to do it for decades and decades and decades. And I just I just don't buy that, you know, the, the, the Federation has to be about um, letting Romulans die and the Federation has to be about destitute people who are smoking crack uh, on board. The, you know, the, the Raffi, whose character I just do not understand, as good as that actress is. I just can't understand what the hell her deal is because it's all over the place. It's like, is, is, is that just a vape that she's smoking or is that like, is she an opium addict? I honestly can't tell. Yeah. Know? It doesn't, it doesn't help. This is cynical undercurrent of the
1: show and it's just really worn thin. You know, I, I did have high hopes for this because it does, it was a show featuring one of my two favorites. Star Trek characters.
3: And let's, you know, let's be completely straight. I mean, you know, almost a bit of a national treasure thing going on with Patrick Stewart as well, isn't it? You know, you, you kind of, you give the guy a bit of a break anyway, don't you? Because, you know, like you say, he's been part of our lives for oh, God, yeah. 25, 30 years now in different guises as well. You know? God, yeah. yeah,
1: Professor X and, you know, these, you know, it, it, <laughs> But, you know, Patrick Stewart is just you know on my bucket list of,
3: of people to meet. Patrick Stewart was on there. Can I can I be completely frank? And I've said this to you off, Mike. And it's just too little, too late. He's too old. Yes, he he's too old. Yes. is. It, like no, I said there's nothing you, wrong with that. It's it's like like Star Wars it's this should have happened 15 years ago. It should have, It yeah. should have happened 20 years ago, yeah.
2: you know? Or it, should, or it should have happened, to be honest. Or it shouldn't have happened, you, no, let's yeah. be honest, yeah. It, look. It, sounded like a, it sounded like a goof. It sounded like one of yeah. those things that, like when Disney, when they bought Avatar and decided to shoehorn it into their theme parks, now that I'm making this very parochial about me, I thought, what the fuck does this have to do with Disney, that they're going to put Avatar in their land? And it's like they just did something to win a quarter. They just did it to, you know say hey look we just made a big move and I feel like the whole Picard thing was almost like a bluff it was a dare like hey we're going to do a thing and it's going to be Patrick Stewart's going to come back and it's like are you actually going to do this or are you just like making yeah. this making a big spectacle for Comic Con it's like no we're actually going to do it and I'm like alright let's see what you guys actually do with it and it just sounds like it was a bluff and we called yeah. them on it
3: and <laughs> yeah it's a very sort of like you say it's almost a very sort of like generic story I mean you could almost sort of kind of predict where it was going to go from the opening episode couldn't you And it's like, oh, we got the Romulans and we got the Borg. And it's like, well, if you've got to do it, do something completely different, do something completely new. That might have been a better angle, perhaps. Look, when you take elements like the Romulans
1: and the Borg, and you know, the Romulans mining this derelict Borg cube for technology, that, you know, there's a a lot of great stuff there that you know in, in the hands that, of
2: that's awesome yeah, yeah. They, they were,
1: on paper if, if you'd given me the the, the the basic outline of this first season of Star Trek Picard my mouth would have been watering you've got Picard obviously coming back you've got this whole Romulan relocation thing which on paper is you know it's a pretty cool storyline ties into some of the events of the 2009 Star Trek you've got then the Borg there's so much fucking great stuff and then you throw into the mix Seven of Nine coming back Yeah, let's look at the latest episode where and I do apologise You know skip this bit um, if you don't want any spoilers but there's the bit where seven of nine for a brief period takes over this ball cube there should have been so much turmoil and so much stuff wrapped up in now the fact that this woman who has been removed from the collective for for 20 odd years is now being thrust back into it out of necessity there was so much great stuff they could have played with it you never know they might actually make something of it in the remaining two episodes but that, that last episode where she actually did that for a second actually edged towards becoming a new version of the bald queen possibly that's something you know one avenue they could have gone down and it was a complete wet fart anti climax yeah
3: definitely so much so much quick, potential it was just we've got was forgotten about it was, as quickly yeah. as it started really, yeah. Didn't it yeah
1: you know the, the whole show is so far it is just in no way living up to potential and i i have to say as much as i had huge problems with the second series of star trek discovery there were more plus points in that, for me, inferior second series of, of Discovery than they were in, or than they have been so far in Star Trek Picard. Star Trek Picard has just been a, a middling, meandering, uninteresting show, and I'm sticking with it purely out of my loyalty to the franchise on the hope that all of these ingredients, which are nearly gelling, and I, I don't mean gelling particularly well, but it's, it could come together. I think it, they've already bought a second season, haven't they? So yeah. So they are going to, you know... But so far, big plans for it, but. I just don't see any scope for what we've had so far in eight episodes to be wrapped up in, in, in the you know the the two-part finale. And I'd love to be proven wrong, but so far... And, and one of the biggest things that is telling me that this show isn't working for a lot of people is the fact that it, it, there's just a complete lack of public discourse on social media about Star Trek Picard, whereas at least... People, even though they were disagreeing quite a bit about Discovery... Discovery and, you know, was getting conversations It was getting one, conversations yeah. going. It was water cooler television of a type that... A lot of people were loving it, a lot of people were hating it, and there were some people you know, in between. But with
3: Star Trek Picard... It's just bland, it's, isn't it? It's just, yeah. Literally, I, I was joking around with someone the other day, and I said, you know, you get to the stage where you just go, I'm not angry, I'm just disappointed. Yeah. You know? It's yeah. like, <laughs> <laughs> I like Star Trek. I'm not a massive sort of, you know, fanatic about Star Trek, but it, it just seems to be much of the same way of, with Doctor Who, now. like, yeah, you know, I'm gonna edit that because uh, no, that's complete that, bullshit. Let me finish. Let me finish. Bullshit. Where they're just re- retconning everything. You love Star to, Trek to fit. In, no, but to fit into a certain narrative, they're in everything, just a, it's almost like shock value. And it's the shock value is gone because it just seems like I expect them to try and shock me, you know. Yeah. And like I said, I would have preferred just a decent new story with perhaps mm-hmm. a, a new sort of nemesis or a new sort of threat or. You know, whatever. You're then just retreading things and just slightly turning things. You know, it's like you, you get, you're rubbing people up the wrong way. Look, if you've got
1: Jean-Luc Picard returning to a Borg cube and meeting Hugh from iBorg, yeah. um, you know, little elements like that, there should have been f- so much more impact to those
3: scenes. I mean, the, the scene when he met Hugh was literally like, Hugh, you're here, yes, okay, okay, uh, here's a portal to another world All right, bye. Yeah, bye. <laughs> that was it. Yeah, <laughs> uh, yeah. <laughs> yeah, it,
1: was just, it was like one page of dialogue. <laughs> yeah. It, w- it was like as if someone else had given the writers these characters and said, look, these are beloved characters and situations and stuff which these fucking long-standing Star Trek fans are going to love. There you go. Go and fuck it up. Yeah, it's always like, do, you,
3: yeah, make do, sure you mention Hugh. Yeah,
1: <laughs> yeah, yeah. Go, go do as do as little as possible with all of these great ingredients that we're making you. Uh, the, 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 sorry, that we're giving you. Go on. We're giving you all of these like
3: amazing ingredients. Go and make a big shit stew out of it. I was going to say, because they, they've dropped it now, but the first episode, I mean, if you played the drinking game where he just said Ill Grey, you'd have been pissed by about 15 minutes into that. Oh, fuck yeah. Because it was like, literally, someone had watched like, a mashup of, yeah. you know, on Facebook of memes of him saying Ill Grey hot. Mm. And it was like every third line. Yeah. They were mentioning it all great. I was like, people don't really understand the character here, do they?
1: Yeah. Anyway, so there you go. That's our little rant about Star Trek Picard. Oh, I don't, I don't want to end this on a negative because I, we want to instill hope in our <laughs> listenership. But going back to the you know the main topic of conversation tonight, what are your plans for the immediate future from your outpost in Norway?
2: <laughs> my outpost to Norway. Yeah, just we're going to sit here and see what happens, the way uh, McCready and Childs did at the end. Well, I'm I'm uh, I'm hunkered down here. The nice thing is I get to listen. I get to talk. I get a lot of free time on my – my, I can work on my, my video projects, which is nice. I mean, you know, this isn't too far from what I'm normally doing anyway because I'm, I'm self-employed. I do my own thing. Um, And I get to go out on my bike. So long as they're telling us we can still visit the world, I'm still touring Amsterdam and seeing what this place has to offer. But – I am, in a way, trying to eat a shit sandwich here because I see people are literally watching more movies, or at least the people in our circle are doing a lot more of what we like. And I feel like the discourse just has a chance to take our minds off of this stuff. So it's fun seeing things that people would otherwise not watch. Um, you know, John Laubinger from Film Baby Film was talking about he was going to bump through uh, a bunch of Coen Brothers movies he'd never seen before, which I thought was like, man, I thought that guy would seen everything. And sure enough, he's going to see Raising Arizona, Miller's Crossing and, and stuff like that. I'm like, that's awesome. What I want to do is have a conversation about that when he's finished because, you know, this wouldn't have happened normally everyone has a lot of free time let's get into it let's talk about it let's chop it up let's let's use this time to do something constructive at least as a distraction and to have more more of the rhetoric which i love
1: yeah so bill um where can people find you if they want to hit you up on social media and obviously don't forget to uh tell us all about your podcast
2: yeah, I'm on Twitter at William Scurry. Uh, and I'm, my video work is on YouTube, youtube.com slash AM Caesar, uh, I do a video series. Uh, I'm in between seasons right now called American Caesar Salad. It's a bunch of essays. Uh, and I regularly put out a podcast. Comes out Monday morning. It's called I Don't Get It Me and My Fellow Crank. My good old friend, Noah Tarno, uh, look at some weird, confounding pop culture phenomenon, something that appeals to kids. And I say kids, anyone under the age of 43. And uh, we just try to unpack it and give it a fair shake and say, "What, like, what does this mean? What, What is Old Town Road? What the hell is that? Hmm. Let's look at Lana Del Rey. Let's look at Lizzo. Not just, not just music, but, you know. Uh, acai bowls, food objects, games, uh, stuff like that. Just anything that is, is beloved by younger people. We give it a fair shake and see what, what the, the deal is for someone our age. Uh, and that's at, uh, I don't get it podcast. It's on iTunes, Spotify, SoundCloud, all that stuff.
3: I love the way as well, Bill, since I told you my commute was 40 minutes long, you've started making these episodes longer.
2: Yeah. I know, door to door, from, from turn, <laughs> Literally. turn on, key we turn one, off. We yeah. had
3: one conversation when I said I had a 40-minute commute in the morning and you've gone from 32 minutes to 40 minutes. <laughs> so, on a personal level it's great <laughs> it is. well look Bill
1: you know thank you very much for um, for joining us tonight and unfortunately only via Skype in better circumstances we would have actually been here in the flesh talking about Star Trek 2 The Wrath of Khan and buzzing on adrenaline having you know spent uh, you know the, the last couple of
3: hours with William Shatner but you know unfortunately it's not meant to be do you know what could yeah. you know what could replicate that to a certain degree go cool. is when all this is cleared up when all the dust is settled we go to fucking Amsterdam. We'll do it.
1: <laughs> Film 89 team, go to Amsterdam. <laughs> no, Imagine the carnage. Why Imagine the carnage. Quicksand? Yeah. Oh, yeah. Just goes without saying that, you know, first off, I do think that we owe our listeners a bit of an apology because it's been well over seven weeks since the last episode. Things have just been, you know, aside from the, uh, you know... Partially my fault, mostly Richie Roberts' fault. You'll blame Richie. Yeah, always blame the guy that's not here. That's my policy. I fully agree <laughs> well, with that. You know. What I've got to say is, Thank you everyone for you're know, just still listening to us because clearly people are listening to us every day. They're recommending us to people because as much as we've been off the air, our download figures have still been up there and we've still been charting. And to that end, we are incredibly grateful to everyone. Thank you to everyone on Facebook who has started following us because our Facebook following and thanks in no small part of the efforts of the man sat on my right here has just gone... It's just increased tenfold. All, really... all the bad memes are mine, basically. Oh, yeah. 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 <laughs> yeah thank you to everyone for that you know thank you to all of the people that interact daily with us on twitter thank you to everyone that's following the site and subscribing please continue to do so the best thing you can do us like you know we always say is please leave us a positive itunes review that really will do us you know a great deal of help we've had some great reviews so far and it's great to, to read them we get you know some great emails keep sending your listener questions to us as much as we haven't done any tonight. uh, You know, this episode has been done pretty much on the cuff um, after, you know, the originally planned episode was canceled, but please keep your listener questions coming in for future episodes, your suggestions for future topics. You know, it it is all just really greatly appreciated. And thank you everyone for, you know, just being so loyal and, and being such great listeners. Um, you can find me, um, if you want to interact with me, on Facebook and Twitter, at Sky Movies. You can follow us all on Film89UK on Twitter and Facebook. Neil,
3: where can they find you? you? Best way to get me is on Twitter, at Neil underscore Gaskin.
1: So please, guys and girls, follow the advice of your, your, your local governments and, and whoever is telling you, you know, what to do in these tough times. Um, I think the best thing you can do is observe good personal hygiene. Keep your distance from everyone. Look after the elderly, look after your children, look after those poor national health workers who just, my God, they're doing an
3: incredible job, you know. Don't overreact. Don't, yeah. You don't need you a don't, thousand toilet rolls. You, you don't need don't. 25 million packets of pasta. You don't need these things. If you're ill, you've got friends who will go and get it for you. Yeah. Who will leave it on your doorstep. You're at Deliveroo and just eat you can actually put as an instruction when you're having your takeaway delivered to you I'm in isolation they'll stand 10 foot away from your door and watch you collect your pizza from the doorstep this is perfect for people dream of times of just living in the house and watching Netflix all day times like this (laughs) where we all need to come together as
1: humanity and we all need to help each other now more than ever to that end the best message we can send to you guys and girls is to stay safe but in the meantime if you
3: can find time don't forget catch a sneeze wash your hands and stay classy we're out of here